Hello, Guitar Smarts listeners. This is an important announcement. Please don't skip ahead. We start this podcast with a special message. Way back in 2021, Guitar Smarts had the pleasure of interviewing the utterly fantastic Matt Long. Matt is a multiple award-winning British blues guitarist and lead singer of the British blues band Catfish and hard rock outfit The Revenant Ones. He joined us for episode number 20 and was a truly gracious guest who spoke about his career, his childhood, guitars and meetings his hero, Joe Bonamassa. Well, Matt needs your help. Through 2023, Matt has been undergoing treatment for bowel cancer, and his recent prognosis has meant that to extend his life and retain a chance of survival, he needs to seek private treatment outside of the NHS. Matt's family have set up a GoFundMe page that is linked in the Guitar Smarts link tree in the description of this podcast. And we at the Guitar Smarts podcast would like to invite each and every listener to consider donating towards this fund that could well save the life of one of the brightest guitar talents of our generation. Now is the time, folks. Head on over to the link in the description to find the GoFundMe page. Donate what you can. Your donation could save a life. Thank you. Enjoy the podcast. I bought the pedal on a whim for £50 delivered. It promptly arrived. Uh, took a couple of weeks. It is one of the best pedals I've ever played in my life. It's absolutely wow. phenomenal. <laughs> it, the the, the always-on kind of clean, crunchy tones from it are impeccable. The, the full-on gain sound from it is impeccable. It is just a monstrous pedal for 50 quid. Greetings. Greetings. Welcome to another Guitar Smarts podcast. This week we are carrying on with our discussion about pedal boards. Last week we were talking about um, what pedals we have, um, how to set them up and how to order them, how to maybe put them on a board and this week we're carrying on that discussion um, and talking about things like switching power um, and yeah there we go. So if you enjoyed last week's show and this week's show come and give us a like on our social media pages. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash guitar smarts and on Instagram as well at guitar underscore smarts um, we really love to hear from our listeners if you've got questions for us then please drop us a line on our social media pages and we'd love to answer your questions and mention you on the show remember to subscribe and like the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss a show and that's it thank you very much for listening let's get to it Let's actually build a board. So so I would say the first thing to consider when you're building the board is you, you've obviously, as you say, you've got all your pedals. You know how big a board you need because you've laid your pedals out in a in a you know in an order. You've probably done some research. I would say you need to consider whether you want to leave room to expand your collection mm. of pedals uh, without having to take things away. And interestingly, there's some interesting products on the market now that allow you to um, to do that. So obviously, you, if you <clears throat> if you're familiar with pedal board technology, there's this company now called Schmidt that make the Schmidt array boards which allow you as you mentioned earlier on to have kind of layers of pedals so that you can you can kind of lift up the top of your pedal board you have pedals underneath and then pedals on top and that allows you to get more into the into the real estate um but Dario just this year have released a pedal board uh, called the expand as in xpnd it's just the word expand with the vowels taken it's, it's genius <laughs> <laughs> but it is it's a telescopic pedal board so you can have a normal kind of pedal board pedal train junior size 
sized board, you know, um, you know, like a couple of feet wide, maybe. But you can extend it out. It will, will kind of pull out of itself and kind of you can make it longer yeah. on one side. So um, that's that's quite a, a good thing to do. But I, I would say one of the first things to do is just to consider the size of the board that you need and whether you want it to be bigger for future kind of improvements and additions of pedals or whether you're happy with a particular size for convenience sake. So I have mine on a Pedal Train Classic Junior, but it's only half full and it probably won't ever get full. Um, um, but that's good enough for me. Um, I think you've got the Pedal Train 2, which is like the size up from that. Or- yeah, it's kind of a medium-sized board. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I, I, I deliberately chose that. I um, After, again, speaking to you when I was building this board and, and you said, well, look, you know, consider do you want to get the bigger, bigger one if you're going to buy lots more pedals and things? And I thought, you know what? I want to, I don't want to get so into having such a complex board that then becomes heavier to transport and becomes another source of potential frustration if for whatever reason at a gig during sound check you know something's gone down on the board and I'm trying to figure out where where the issue is so I thought you know I'm, I know the effects that I want to, to, to have yes I could get a board big enough to put you know seven different distortion pedals on there and have all that variety and option rather than just swapping and changing different pedals out but I thought you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna go middle of the road with it and I'm very happy with the size of that board and in fact uh, like a few other guitarist friends that I've spoken to who are gigging musicians I'm, I'm considering even just building a smaller board um, as a second board right which is just an even simpler setup for jam nights open mic nights or just kind of the odd depth gig here and there where you where I don't need the full wireless setup I don't need all of the different distortion pedals and game pedals on there and again it's horses for courses right if you're really into your effects pedals and you want to build you know huge boards with loads of different options and loads of different uh, soundscapes that you're trying to, to create then you might you might need a bigger board and that might be your bag right but for, for the type for the type of gigging that we're doing and that I know a lot of our kind of listeners are doing I would say either either build a couple of small boards or build a medium-sized board and then have fun with, with taking things in and off of that board because you've got to think about weight you've got to think about fitting it in the in, in the mm-hmm. bigger car when you're when you're driving around to a gig and you've also got to think about the practicalities of being something that's simple enough for you to default fault find and diagnose when something goes wrong and that, yeah. that kind of worry worries me with these really complex boards I, I don't have the luxury going out with a with a <laughs> with a tech that's going to do all of this stuff for me if something goes wrong so so i want it to be not too complicated absolutely i completely agree that's what the thing i love the most about having a board is is the fact that i can take it out of its case when i'm at a gig and plonk it down and um i use, i don't have it on it anymore but uh, but when i first built this particular board i've made and put onto it a like a little one in one out patch bay so and i kind of stuck that under one side so that i had the power and my guitar in and out all coming off the same side of the pedal board and everything was permanently wired on the board itself um so you got to a gig and you just plonk this thing down plug the power in both guitar leads in and out straight off one side and it's done and it's set up ready to go it's convenient um and one thing other thing to consider as well is if you're if you're traveling a lot as a guitarist um maybe try and get something that gives you the option to buy a hard case for your pedal board Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as well um most most pedal boards now i think can be really good um, soft cases, but um, uh, uh, getting something with a hard case, I think, is important, especially if you've got a lot of expensive pedals. I and mean, if you've got an original clone, you should, well, first, you should probably leave that at home. And not take <laughs> yeah, it to exactly. the gig, right? Not with how much they cost now. <laughs> Um, and then also you should get a board that allows you to easily fit power um, sources to it Um, you mentioned earlier on about um, getting a smaller board um, for like you know something you put three or four pedals on I think those are great but they are harder to get um, power supplies onto um, 
often the power supply has to take the space of a pedal and then you're kind of like, oh, I can't I can't stomp on my power supply. <laughs> and James is like, well, you can. You can, you can stomp <laughs> it and break it and that'll change your sound. Um, so, yeah, getting a board that leaves you room to expand if you need it to, something that's well protected by maybe a hard case, something that allows you to build a power supply into it without affecting how many pedals you can get onto it is good. Uh, and maybe even something like the Schmidt Array boards that actually have those patch bases built into them so that you can just connect everything up on the board and then plug your in and out from the first and last pedals onto a patch bay and then you can just connect your guitar into the pedal board itself rather than into the first and last pedals and that's that's a really good way of of doing it so you've got all your pedals now you've made a choice about the pedal board now you've got your board and your pedals you need to build the pedal board and the first thing that you should do is your power you should work out what you need um, to power everything and that there is some maths involved so when you built your current pedal board did you how, what did you think about in terms of power did you really consider the power I thought, requirements I, I, I thought what I need is, is, is someone with an engineering and electrical background that I can just speak to who can make my life easier in this regard and so I called you <laughs> <laughs> and, and at that point you said to me there's some maths involved and I said oh, oh right well I'm going to go and have a nap can yeah. you, here's a list of pedals that, I'm, that I want to put on the board can, yeah. can, you, can you do the maths and, and then tell me <laughs> uh, so no, the, way that, the way that we did it um, this was years ago this is going back years and years yeah, ago yeah it is isn't it uh, so I, I I obviously knew that, that I needed to create some real estate for a power supply uh, you know I, I, powering all of these pedals with batteries um, wasn't an option for, for me to be changing out those batteries every every few minutes or every few gigs rather and um, some of the pedals that I was choosing particularly some of the mini pedals didn't even accommodate a 9 volt battery right they were they were you know, power supply only mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, that needed to, 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 to be factored in now the more I read about power supplies everyone was telling me that I needed to, to get a really uh, invest in a really good uh, isolated power supply so that each pedal had its own uh, kind of signal to the power supply, mm-hmm. kept things cleaner, reduced the noise floor, gave you better performance out of the pedals, all of that. And so I was totally fully ready to, to, to you know, go ahead and, and spend a few hundred quid on, is it kind of like the Voodoo, voodoo uh, power supplies and things that yeah. exist? Yeah. Um, and then I stumbled across uh, the this uh, power supply called the Diego Power Station, which um, is not an isolating power supply in terms of sending a signal to each and every pedal or power supply to each and every pedal it daisy chains right so that's the other other way to do it is you can daisy chain your your kind of power together in that way and i must say i was prepared for it not to 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 give the results that i needed to and it's been flawless it's been it, it looks like a laptop battery charger uh and it's really small it slots right underneath my pedal train uh and is as securely attached underneath so i'm not losing any real estate on the top of the board at all in it and it tucks really neatly underneath the board um, and is secured in place and then I just bought the additional kind of little daisy chain links that, that you can buy for as many pedals that you've got and yeah it's uh, and I spoke to you and I said look this thing says it's got a uh, it's, it's obviously all 9 volts so you've got to check that all your pedals are, are are running 9 volt because I know some of them don't take 9 volt they have 18 volts some of them some of the pedals yeah there's various isn't there yeah some pedals will uh, take a range so for example you'll probably find that your clon clon that you have which you'll speak about later, um, you're probably feeding it 9 volts. You'll probably find it will take 18, and then you'll end up with even higher headroom 
of sound oh, from right. the pedal because it's okay. operating on a larger frequency, not large frequency, larger power range. So it's got effectively more gain before it breaks up. So you'll get even bigger, cleaner boost. Um, most tube screamers, I think, will take up to about 18 volts. They recommend nine. Um, voltage is an interesting thing to play with. But yeah, you're right. Um, so, I, so I sent you the specs of this this power supply thing and because the literature with it says oh, it's, it powers up to 30 pedals and you know, there's, it, it, you know it says that it doesn't have any of the issues with noise or, or kind of uh, things like that. So I was like, well, it sounds too good to be true. And it was, it was you know, how much it was. It was less than a hundred quid, less than a hundred dollars. It was, um, I think, I think it's, uh, I don't know if they make it anymore, but it was, it was really inexpensive. Uh, and, I, and I said, look, it's got a rating of I think it's 3000 milliamps or something. And mm-hmm. you were like, yeah, that's, that's enough to kill an elephant. That will do it. Um, yeah. So, so I took I took I took an easy route out, and, and and I must say it hasn't let me down. But but yeah. you know uh, maybe I would get better performance out of my pedals and tone if I if I bought a really expensive power supply with kind of isolating. Well, you probably wouldn't pedals. necessarily get a different performance from your pedals, but what you'd likely notice is, and again, it's it's probably only going to be subtle because you don't have that that kind of complex a rig. But uh, what what happens with daisy chaining is any noise that that can be introduced onto the power line of a pedal by the pedal itself um, is then shared around all the pedals so so if there's if there's slight interference created in, in the power from one pedal then all those pedals see that interference and effectively that nine volt signal that you're giving a pedal is the power by which it's making the sound and and um, any noise that's on that voltage ends up on the guitar sound itself so if you've got a particularly noisy pedal it should really be on an isolated power supply because then it doesn't affect the sound of other pedals. There's a great video on, um, obviously, I'm sure everyone who's listening has listened to or watched the pedal show or that pedal show. There's a great episode with uh, Kirk Fletcher. He's a fantastic blues guitarist. Mm. Look out one from a few years back where he takes his pedals um, and he plays his rig, and then they build and build those pedals onto a new pedal board for him with isolated power supplies. And when he in the video, when he plays that rig after it's been built, he's plugged into it and he turns his guitar volume up. And there's a moment where he turns back to the amp and assumes that his amp's not on because there's no noise. Right. And he and he goes, "Is it on?" And he plays, and it's on, and he can't believe how less noisy his guitar rig is because. And it's mainly because of the power. It's not just because of, you know, true bypass loop switching from, you know, what is now on his board. And it's it's that's from having isolated power. So it's the it stops the distribution of noise from noisy pedals onto other pedals. Um, but it's not always necessary. If you've not got particularly noisy pedals or a complex rig like like you haven't, then um, daisy chaining is going to be absolutely fine. It's going to be a really efficient way of distributing power. I mean, I pretty much do the same thing. Um, I've got a, I think it's a two, 2005, milliamp nine volt power supply which goes into a gig rig distributor so which is basically just a daisy chain block that you wire your own um kind of connections out so rather than it being a daisy chain point to point it's it's kind of a parallel daisy chain and effectively i do the same thing and that's and that that works great for me um but the important thing is so we you probably would have just heard us mention milliamps you know that's the power draw of the pedal that's how much power the pedal needs to do its job and every pedal will have a defined and you know specified ampage 
um, draw that it requires to work. Um, digital pedals tend to take quite a lot. So, for example, something like a Strymon Timeline, which is a very complex digital, it's practically a computer, that takes probably 10 to 20 times more power than your average analog pedal. But you should definitely look at all your pedals and just see what it says on the label, on the pedal itself, what its average current draw is. And you should add all of that up. And um, you should you should make sure that your power supply that you have has more capability than you require. I would I would say always try to aim for 50 to 100% more. If you, if you add everything up and you're going to be drawing an amp, try and get a power supply that's capable of one and a half to two amps. Gives you room for expansion and it means you're not operating at the limit of what the power supply, because that will also start introducing noise. If the power supply is working really hard to transfer all that power through to everything, that's going to start making noises. You're going to start hearing changes happening to your sound as you're running out of power. So that's that's um, that's step number three. Um, make sure you, suppl- you you get a power supply that's suitable for the pedals that you've chosen and make sure it provides the voltages as well. So some power supplies have kind of 9 volt and then they also have 12 volt and 18 volt outputs as well. Um, you might find some of your pedals actually don't have normal 9 volt power supplies. They're 12 or 18. But you can also get kind of connections where you can connect two 9 volt connections into a cable and it will join them together and so that you end up with 18 volts. So there's ways around it but consider the power requirements of your pedals and what you need to put on your board and make sure you cover that you know with plenty of of headroom that's really good advice matt and and certainly if you if you've got some noisier pedals or you just want to really push and refine the the performance of your pedal board then definitely consider one of those isolating power supplies like the vb lab kit and stuff like that it 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 sounds like it's it's worth the additional money and things that that they they require but um i must say i'm very happy with the with the daisy chaining um that I've, that I've done with this Diego power supply it's, yeah. it's been really reliable and and not noisy that I that I that I noticed but um yeah definitely so worth something to consider because I know people get accused about about what types of power supply they need so so that's really good advice around you know calculating the the demand that your pedals are going to ask for and considering whether you want to daisy chain it or have uh you know individual feeds to to each pedal so sorry to interrupt this super interesting conversation. However, if you've made it this far, you should probably subscribe to the Guitar Smarts podcast. You can do that in your favourite podcast app. Go and do that now and then come back to the show. Let's get back to it. Brilliant. Okay, so so what next now? Now we're going to start sticking some stuff down on our board? No, or? we're going to start sticking some stuff down and we're going to start patching things together. Right, so... Um, so yeah, Velcro often comes with your pedal boards, right? I mean, I've got everything Velcroed down. Um, you should make sure that you're happy with the Velcro that comes with your board. I think a lot of people would go out and buy something aftermarket that they prefer. Um, you can get something called pedal tape, I think, which is just an extremely strong Velcro type. I thing. bought that. Have you got pedal tape on yours? That's what I bought. Yeah, my pedal train came with some. And uh, again, I, when you research all of this stuff as you're building a board, I, I read up and I, d- I didn't even try it. I've kept it there as spare. Um, but but a lot of people were advising, um, particularly if you're taking pedals on and off. Uh, and again, I didn't want the hassle of having to deal with this at a gig and pedals coming loose and things. So I researched a couple of different options and I found that tape that you're talking about. It was quite, uh, wasn't too expensive, but just has that additional kind of resilience um, than, than the, maybe the stock stuff that comes with the pedal board. So for an extra few quid, it was worth the investment. There was something else that came up that people were recommending if you're going to go down the Velcro option, which was... 
uh, a 3M product, which yes. is like their, their dual lock stuff, and, and which is incredible stuff. But that is kind of like military grade Velcro. Yeah, you might as well glue your pedals to your board. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's. I I would say you know um, what I've done in the past is a combination of using cable ties or zip ties and just a standard Velcro because then I know it's secure, but I don't have to go through. You know, I don't have to lever the the pedals off the board. You know, a crowbar mm. if I want. You know, if I want to. But yeah, choosing something that is going to uh, make sure your pedals stay on the board in transit and when they're on the floor is obviously super important. Um, Definitely. Don't use uh, masking tape. Don't use gaffer tape. It's nasty, horrible stuff. I've seen people do that. Yeah. I've seen people like put gaffer tape and things on their pedal board and you go, oh man, you go to a gig and someone spills a pint, which they invariably do, and it goes near your board and oh, it's a mess waiting yeah. to happen, isn't it, right? And, uh, I, and I've done that. Sorry. Oh, so it <laughs> was you. My, Maybe it was you. <laughs> Not on the board. I've got to say, I've no. never done it where I've put. Um, I've never put something on a board with masking with with gaffer tape. But I have put pedals on the floor at a gig and then used a little bit of gaffer tape just to stop it moving around. So if I stomp on it, like I've, like I've not, I haven't like covered it in gaffer tape so that it's like <laughs> so like it would never come off the floor. But I've taken like maybe a couple of inches of gaffer tape and then on the on the on like the face of the pedal that's facing me, I've I've put it on the and then on the floor just so that when I kick on it, it's not going to move away from me and i'm, I'm gonna i don't want to chase the pedal around the floor kind of thing <laughs> and that's from when some because i have even in recent years done some gigs before where i've just taken like a drive pedal with me um you know just just for the simplicity of you know being able to rock up and then disappear off really quickly after a gig you know if there's a long drive <laughs> or whatever um because really in case cares. your amorous amorous fans are chasing after you again yeah because <laughs> one thing that's important to mention is that um as 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 in as much of a labour of love as a pedal board can be, as we're talking about all these different things, nobody cares. So what's the point? But anyway, <laughs> let's carry on. Okay, okay. <laughs> so let's let's talk about patching cables. So patch cables for your pedals. Um, don't. So for, the first thing to say is pe- the power that we've just been talking about. Don't skimp on getting your power right for your board. And the second thing to not skimp on is the patching cables to go between your pedals, because if you get cheap ones from eBay or something like that, these pre-molded coloured multi-coloured things some of those um you might not notice any sound difference but the reliability of them is you, you really have to call to question some of them will break very easily if you change pedals quite frequently and you don't want to be at a gig where all of a sudden you've got no sound and it's a patch cable and you don't know which one it is you buy quality items then um those are going to last um and i know that there are there are products off off the shelf that allow you to make your own using kind of you know solderless connections and things Clear-toned a bunch of that. Exactly, yeah. And actually, I use Clear-tone, which are made by a guy in Basingstoke who makes um, session amplifiers. If you remember session amps that were kind of a big uh, solid-state amp firm um, through the 80s and still make make stuff now. Um, He does a lot of custom cables, um, which you can order online, and he'll make them by hand. And I some of you know the main the main cables I use from my guitar to my board I've had for ten years uh, that I bought from him, and they've never ever once gone wrong. And they're a little bit more expensive than stuff off the shelf but they last a long time and and companies like Clearton and other people will also make things uh, by order so if you know you need so many patch cables and you know how long you need to be and what kind of connections you need you can get them made and they will last until you know for eternity so get a good quality patch cable get a good quality 
whether it's something you make yourself or a product that you buy off the shelf or order, make sure you're getting good quality stuff because it will last. I think you're right. I think you're right. And, and, and it does affect tone. Honestly, it really does. Well, you, you've got to consider the amount of cabling that runs that you're putting in, in between these, these pedals all has an effect on, on, you know, the impedance and incapacitance and essentially the tone of your, your rig, right? So keep, keep the runs as short as you can. Use the highest quality cable that you can within reason. Um, you know, even the, 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 little kind of like jumper plugs which i've seen as well which even kind of minimize the amount of cable that you're using and you can butt pedals up quite close to each other it makes it a little bit of a faff to, to pull them in and in and out but i use some of those in certain places on the board just to minimize the amount of cabling that i've got going on because all of that is potentially tone sapping so i think it's really important to, to spend a, a good amount on patch cables don't buy the cheapest stuff it really will affect tone and try and keep them as short as possible yeah one one tip if you do buy one of those fixed patch um cable things that doesn't have cable that's just like a fixed solid point-to-point patch like two plugs isn't it yeah yeah exactly those are great they save a lot of space if your pedals kind of line up but Mm. um if you do buy those obviously just be careful if you need to remove a pedal um that you lift both pedals that are connected together by a solid thing because if you you might not notice you might bend it when you're trying to lift the pedal up and disconnect it um and then when you plug your new pedal in you could end up with a weakened solder joint or something inside it and you might find over time that that ends up with some amount of failure so those are yeah, great exactly. ways of saving space but just remember you need to be more careful because um, they can be fragile um so we've, we've got our pedals we've got them laid out we've, we've got a board we've fixed them onto our board got everything powered up correctly oh one thing to mention about patch cables um if you're running long patch cables from pedal to pedal um don't have them going in parallel with any power cables you have always try and run power and signal at kind of right angles to each other that means that um any interference that happens between the two is kind of out of phase and you don't end up transferring noise from power lines onto um, signal lines so that's important thing to remember that's a really good tip um, so we've, we've got our board, we've put our power room, we've put our pedals on, we've got everything patched up. Um, you've got a finished pedal board, right? So those are our first four things. But the last thing we wanted to talk about was switching. Um, and this is something I've never had, and I, I'm not sure if you've ever had. Have you ever had anything like a programmable switcher or a, or a true bypass looper? I haven't. I haven't. I'm interested in it. But again, my rig is relatively simple enough for me to not, not want to do it from a convenience perspective of having to play with so many different combinations of pedals and then route it through a switcher to almost pre-program those banks pedals that come on and off at a given time I, I can i can pretty much achieve that without looking like i'm tap dancing all over my pedal board but there yeah. is a there is a tonal element to it isn't there around taking pedals out of the signal chain when you yeah. when they're not going to be in play which you know has has potentially added benefits to kind of the the noise floor of the board and the rig and also that the seeing more of the actual true tone of a pedal unencumbered by the other pedals that are, that are kind of connected to it right that's right yeah so so true bypass looper is kind of um you can think of it as if you've ever looked at anybody's pedal board and you've seen like a, a strip of switches along the bottom of the board and all the pedals are connecting into it it's, it's basically um it's it's a it's a bank of pedals that allows you to bring a pedal into your chain and uh, and then take it out of your signal chain rather than just turning them on and off so if you think about a normal pedal board pedal board like mine or yours even when we've got all of our pedals off our signal's still running through everything and some pedals still affect the tone even when they're off especially if they've got a buffer on the output which effectively it kind of resets your signal it, it repowers your signal to be stronger you know a buffered pedal is a good thing to have at the end of your signal chain so that you can get a nice strong signal going to your amp after all those pedals 
Um, that's buffers a, a complex thing to talk about another time, maybe. But the good thing about a true bypass looper is that when you've got all your pedals off, you are going literally straight to your amp. You're not touching anything. You're not going through a pedal, even if it's off. And that's important for guitarists who want to minimise the tonal effect um, that pedals have on their signal, even when they're off, so that they get as clean a signal as possible to their amp. And when you bring a pedal, when you press on your true bypass looper for a particular pedal it's just bringing that pedal in to your signal chain it's effectively just diverting your signal through the pedal so you'd have all your pedals permanently on and use your true bypass looper to bring them in now that's a really good way of controlling noise in your in your signal chain and um, you know being able to also find faults you know if one of those patch cables fails you can just take that pedal out of the loop and, and you you know you get around the fault um, you can also get programmable looping systems like you mm. know gig rigs g3 um, you know boss now do a great series of boss even do one i think it's called the me3 or the me5 which is it's actually a multi-effects processor with three loops built into it uh, but there's loads of them that allow you to program uh, presets effectively so even a true bypass looper you have to do everything one one at a time if you want to if you've got a drive sound that is your clean boost a distortion pedal and a delay pedal you still have to click three switches whereas a programmable loop you could have one button that is a preset of all those loops on and off so if you have a complex kind of pattern of sounds for your band or for your gig a, a, a programmable loop is a really good thing to have on your board because it allows you quick easy one button access to combinations of pedals and that's a it's a really kind of i've always i've been tempted to kind of go that way in the past just because i like the idea of it <laughs> but i also kind of think well i'm going down a road there of you know having something for the sake of it but you might find that's something that's really um that's that's really kind of useful now another great use for a programmable looper have you heard of the four cable method i have heard of the four yeah. cable method yeah but I, yeah. it involves the effects loop doesn't it and yeah uh, I, I, again it sounded like too much hassle for, for me and and i like to keep it i like to keep it simple but but tell but tell, tell us tell us a little bit more about what the virtues and benefits of that four cable method are so it allows you to effectively present your preamp stage of your amplifier as a pedal that you can turn on and off so you can go through your you can go through all your pedals through let's say you've got a programmable loop um, and you've got you know a couple of distortions, some modulation, and then you've got let's say you've got two loops remaining at the end of your chain. You can go out of that second to last loop, and instead of going into a pedal, you can go into your amplifier's front end, into your input, and the return of that loop can come from the send of your effects loop. So what you've yeah. done now is you're sending your guitar out of your of your um, programmable looper into your amp, and you're bringing the output of its preamp back into your looper. So now you can select or deselect your amplifier's inherent sound before it hits the power amp. And then in your last loop, you could have a guitar preamp, a pedal-based guitar preamp that maybe maybe you have a Fender amp like you have, but you want to have a proper martial sound available to you. Mm-hmm. So you could get something like a, you know, I don't know, like a Strymon Iridium, which is a which is a preamp pedal that you can get all kinds of different sounds. You could have you could have that as your last loop and you can program your um programmable looper to, to kind of you know always flip-flop between the two so you don't have both on you can always have one or the other now what you've done is you've effectively given yourself the choice of two different guitar amps you yeah. can now either select from your looper your fender preamp to go into your power amp or you can select your marshall or other based preamp that you've got on your board to go into your power amp. and that's a really good way of not having to have two amps for two yeah. different types of sounds you can use you, you know you can your amp isn't this siloed sound up behind you that you put everything in 
into, you can actually bring the inherent sound of your amp to the board and choose it or not choose it. So that's that's a really good thing. So for, so for switching, you should consider, you know, whether you think true bypass looping is important to the sound, whether you mm-hmm. want to program presets so that you're not dancing around as much. And also, if you want to end up with a super capable rig using the four cable method of being able to bring your preamp down to the board in that way. And, and there we are, really. That's, the, that's kind of the five things that I think people should consider when they're building a rig, when they're building their board. That's really great advice, Matt. That's, um, and, and look, honestly, some of the stuff that you taught me about that um, with building my pedal board, once I put it into practice and played around with it, it, it it's meant that I'm, I'm not going back to multi-effects units now. I'm really uh, enjoying yeah. um, having a, a, a pedal board and I, 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 yeah, I just really uh, have got so much satisfaction out of building it as well mm-hmm. and experimenting with it and, and putting some of that theory that you talk about into into pedal boards with your kind of knowledge of of, of how to do this uh so yeah i've i've definitely learned a whole heap about it so thanks thank you for taking taking us through that that's great and look if any of our listeners have got kind of more questions or want to hear a little bit more in depth around some of the topics that we've discussed today there's there's so much more we could go into right around tree bypass and buffers and where to put them on a pedal board and and all that kind of stuff then then we'd be delighted to to answer some of those those questions just contact us on our instagram or or facebook um site at, at, at guitar smarts and um and ask ask away and uh but hopefully what we've covered today for for people that are either putting together their first pedal board or thinking about you know getting more out of their existing pedal board some of those some of those bits that we've covered today will will help people kind of maximize the tone from 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 a pedal board which is which should be a lot of fun right to play with absolutely so, um so yeah it's a journey it's an, it's an ongoing thing isn't it that we, we're always doing and and in you know 15 20 years for me of, of gigging it's it's constantly evolving you're always changing it you always think you've got there and then you hear somebody else or another pedal or something and you go yeah 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 Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's one of those things that you can just have have a bit of fun with as well. As you say, it's not spending hundreds of hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars or or pounds, you know, buying a new guitar. It's it's uh, it's having a having a play and trying out what it can do to your sound by spending spending a little bit of money on on a new pedal. And some of the cheaper pedals that we've covered in in other podcasts for um, are just delivering some incredible tone for for the money. And so the the pedal that I was referring to earlier uh, that I'm just loving at the moment. Yeah. Is the is the uh, the the Centaur Clon clone that is available from the uh, slightly infamous uh, website Wish.com? <laughs> so there's been there's been some YouTube videos of this. Uh, there's a great video on 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 the YouTube channel Music Is Win uh, around this pedal and where where he actually did compare uh, this shall we say copy uh, of the Centaur pedal to to a real one and uh, I think he even he was amazed uh, at how close it was and i must say i bought the pedal on a whim for 50 pounds delivered it promptly arrived uh took a couple of weeks it is one of the best pedals i've ever played in my life it's absolutely wow. phenomenal it, the, the, the always on kind of clean crunchy tones from it are impeccable the, the full-on gain sound from it is impeccable it is just a monstrous pedal for 50 quid so uh look, depends how you feel about a knockoff gear and copy stuff uh you know uh, i know i know there's there's people that get quite quite irate and quite excited about you know uh all of that kind of stuff where it's just basically ripped off something else but um you know i'm not i'm not a multi-millionaire yeah exactly so (laughs) so so, so i'm not gonna go and spend three grand on one pedal but 
<laughs> if I can get pretty close to it, uh, then, uh, or, or, or even if it just sounds good, even if it doesn't sound exactly like the original, honestly, this, this, uh, this uh, clon clone from uh, wish.com, absolutely blindingly good. Yeah. Amazing. I think, might, I think, I think it's that, that pedal that's missing. I think it's that pedal that, that's missing on your on your board. I uh, think it might be. Which which is which is going to give you that sound you're after. Uh, before we go, can we just do one quick listener question? Uh, yeah, which is complete, completely related to what we're talking about today, actually, Excellent. which is I was chatting to uh, uh, a guitarist the other day who, again, was thinking of building a, a, a smaller board. And he was saying, oh, just one of the annoying things as well, because uh, he's, he's got a slightly bigger board. And he said that he just doesn't find that the Velcro holds and, it, and it's kind of, it peels off and his pedals don't stick on properly to the actual board. And is there anything that, that you can do to, you know, what, what he, should he be using on his board instead of the Velcro, which he finds really unreliable so you've mentioned cable ties and things like that which i think is really good advice one of the things that i advised him to do which i found has meant that i haven't had an issue with any of the velcroing on on my pedal board before i even started to put the pedals onto the board itself with velcro uh, just as i was prepping the board i gave it a really good clean with a degreasing agent like a like a kind of windex or glass cleaner on that metal surface and like a micro microfiber cloth and just thoroughly cleaned it so there was no grease no dust no lint no nothing before i then laid down the velcro uh onto the board itself and then i put a load of uh books uh and just to weigh down uh the adhesive on that board and i left it i left it for a couple of hours like that to let that adhesive set on the pedal board and then what i found by doing that is that the velcro just hasn't just stayed it hasn't budged it hasn't moved and i can rip pedals on and off that board and the velcro just holds and i think what a lot of people do is they neglect to kind of prepare the surface of that pedal board before they start attaching velcro to it and it the adhesive doesn't have time to go off properly and then they're forever trying to stick it back down with gaffer and, and actually i guess if if you're having that problem it might be a bit of a pain to kind of start again from scratch but it's probably well worth it just to take yeah. off any if, if your velcro is failing just take it off give it a good clean like you said reapply it really properly on a clean surface and, and weigh it down so you get the best ad- adhesion as possible mm. on that velcro and that's that's great advice fantastic cool cool good stuff well that was a good one that was a long that was one, a long one wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> start off as a one-parter turns into seven parts, turns into seven parts. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not it'll be two excellent well brilliant what are you gonna anything you got a, anything planned for the for the week guitar wise anything you're practicing yes, de- definitely mate uh so um i haven't had a lot of chance to play guitar this last week but with the couple of days where the kids are going to the grandparents i'm so looking forward to uh doing some playing for a couple of a couple or three hours and mm-hmm. i'm going deeper into my into my journey of, of learning some music theory and uh, uh i spent some time with the dorian mode over the last couple of weeks and trying to trying to get my ear attuned to that and and having having fun with that and getting some more major scale kind of shapes across the neck uh, i'm by no means proficient at, at this stuff yet but it's it's all little light bulb moments that are going on so i'm, I'm still thoroughly enjoying pushing myself with that and then you sent me oh man why did you do this to me this is this is gonna this is just lost like hours now of my of my of my life but you sent me a uh, a video last night going oh some really good playing and some really good licks in this of a of a, of a guy that i haven't uh, previously come across called tom quail uh wow 
wow is all i can say yeah that man play uh, absolutely so yeah so i've got i've got many lost hours ahead of me uh watching some of his videos and trying to replicate and steal some of his licks and and uh, he's got some great online stuff there as well around uh, approaches to the fretboard which i'm gonna try and and model my way through some of some of those lessons awesome very much the same for me I'm, I'm just planning on spending a bit of time working on some technique and some and some fingerboard knowledge that's one of the things i'm really kind of um trying to trying to beat into my own head um is kind of i keep you know learning to play things um almost mechanically without the understanding of why um certain things are being played you know if i'm learning a guitar solo by somebody or a song so i'm really trying to force myself when i'm playing and practicing to understand why certain note choices there and then to try and understand you know and navigate the fretboard in a more conscious way um than 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 i do so more of that this week for me i don't know that that cover of that steely dan solo that you that you put on instagram <laughs> uh, man uh, that's that was that was tasty if you haven't seen matt oliver playing that go and check that out uh yeah man honestly you did an incredible job with that i thought that was perfect. thanks man it looked it looked very much conscious what you were doing in terms well that's of the thing i was I, I actually met that was an exercise in this so um i said to myself i'm never going to learn a guitar solo again without first learning the chord sequence that it's over right That's which smart. is yeah you know some of us do that some of us will go oh, i love that guitar solo you just sit down and you'll learn the tab to it and you'll play it um but can you honestly say you know every chord that's being played under it and i'm trying to make a habit of that now because i want to understand why certain things sound good over certain chords um, so I'm trying to do more of that. Yeah, what there a great discipline to do. Excellent. Well, look, good luck with that, mate. And then we will Cheers, catch bud. up on the other side of the Easter holiday, yeah. uh, full, of, full of chocolate and 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 uh, <laughs> having had a, a good amount of guitar practice. Exactly. Well. Looking forward to it, mate. Have a cracking Easter. I'll speak to you next yeah. week. And you guys, take care. Cheers, Brilliant. mate. All the best, mate. Ta-da. Well, that was another super fun conversation. I really hope you enjoyed it. Remember to come over to our social media pages, tell us what you think, um, ask us some questions, come and say hello, anything at all, share some information with us, give us ideas for podcasts that you'd like to hear and subjects that you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. And uh, brilliant. Thanks very much for joining us and we'll speak to you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye.